Today's episode is brought to you by North Texas Honda Dealers. North Texas Honda Dealers, they're here to help. He has time, launches it to the end zone. Touchdown, Terrence Williams. Goes to the right side for Crabtree. It's caught. He plays. Oh, he's going to What's he up the right sideline? He's got to go. He's tackled. Sam Houston wins it. The Bearcats capture their first FCS championship. Welcome, everyone, to the Republic of Football. I'm your host, Shahan J. Raja, the college football insider at Dave Campbell's Texas Football. You can find all of our work at TexasFootball.com. Find us on Facebook, Dave Campbell's Texas Football. Find us on Twitter at DCTFCFB. Become a subscriber at TexasFootball.com slash subscribe. Well, over there, we got Ishmael Johnson. Over there, we got Mallory Hartley. But we're real busy. Let's go ahead and get right into it. I will say, if you want more talk about the Big 12 expansion, about Texas and Oklahoma potentially leading for the SEC. I recorded a solo episode last week. Make sure and check it out on the Republic of Football feed or at sexfootball.com. But we're going to go ahead and get right into news. So UTSA, for the past several years, since starting a football program from scratch about a decade ago, I mean, they've been working out of basically old classrooms is basically the gist of it. They've got a very small weight room that was not built for a football team. And listen, this is not... Power 5, this is not FBS, this is not Division 1 level facilities that they've been working out of. It's been as bad as I, I think any in the state. And yesterday, that all changed. UTSA just opened its brand new race athletic facility. They've got enough training tables, they've got enough weight rooms, they got everything. Ish, I don't know if you ever saw their old facilities, but it, it's a game changer. I did not. I was not able to. I know you talked to uh, Frank Wilson a couple times on yep. campus uh, before he left. Yep. And so uh, you, you've seen them. It's not, yeah. <laughs> it's not I, good. Yeah, I kept hearing stories, and I heard everybody who went there was like, "Man, that's the one thing that's probably going to hold them back mm-hmm. for as far as recruiting goes, as far as holding their end of the bargain and the, like the landscape of the state." Um, and now, I mean, credit to to athletic director Lisa Campos. Like, mm-hmm. there's was, nothing holding them back I was about now. To say, yeah, <laughs> like like that was clearly one of her goals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, was to bring that up to standard because you know you're in a market like San Antonio, you should be able to draw talent there and now okay yeah like you like Mallory mentioned the weakness of that of that program and there the, is none there is none there like is they none. took it away it was like they have a great facility there I was looking at the photos of their weight room their weight room is incredible like it's basically like tripled in size yeah. like like yeah. it's kind of insane yeah well and that's the thing right because I think when we talk about facilities in relation to power five teams yeah it's all I'm not saying it's always, but it's usually aesthetic, right? Sure, it's like, sure. wow, we put even cooler colors and even more neon lights and yes. even, you know, TVs it's, and right. Uh-huh. Whereas when you're talking group of five level, especially when you're talking a program like UTSA that's new, you are literally saying, hey, 12 players can work out at one time. Right. I was about mm-hmm. to say, like, there's no waiting in line for right. the weight room. There, there's not having to schedule times. There's not, hey, you know, we can only do half of the, uh, you know, we can only have meetings with half of the players at a time. Like, that's the big thing, right? It, this is this is not aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Like, the aesthetic, I mean, they, it's a beautiful building. I can't wait to go and see it. Yeah. But more than anything, they have the resources now to be able to do it. Uh, m- moving on, uh, Look, I think we have to obviously mention Quinn Ewers uh, mm-hmm. decides to leave high school football early. He's enrolling at Ohio State. It's really less of an us conversation, mm-hmm. um, but I certainly think that he can go in and potentially compete for that starting job. Maybe sure. not by week one, but by week five. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I think that there's a lot of reason to think that could happen. Uh, and this the biggest uh, news of the day, obviously. North Texas and Texas State 
and schedule a home and be home. Yeah, that should be fun. Yeah, yeah. That's, well, that's a series I've been honestly I've been like waiting to yeah. see. Like, why haven't they played yet? So yeah. I'm excited for yeah. that one. It's in the 2026, 26, 26, and, and 2030, and 2030 gotcha. in Denton. So yes, okay. that should be a lot of fun. Last thing, Texas State names a new athletic director. Mm-hmm. Don Coriel. Yeah, Don he's, Coriel. He's, Is he related to the like? Because I keep Googling Don Coriel, and obviously it brings up, like, the old football coach. No, Is no, really? I, I, don't, I don't think so. I don't so. think he's really – because I feel like they would have mentioned that, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I feel, I feel if he is, and very much credit to him for absolutely downplaying <laughs> the heck out of that. But no, no, he's he's you know a lot of people are mixed on the appointment. Uh, sure. Some people wanted them to go outside because um, that's what UTSA did to get at least somebody like mm-hmm. Lisa Campos. Um, but that some worked. people also acknowledge that he has a lot better of a player relationship uh, relationship to the ath- uh, student athletes than previous administration did, and so they Shocker. said that right, <laughs> and so they said that was kind of a big thing. And as far and. Uh, I believe uh, President Trout also said today that the upcoming realignment and domino, potential domino effects was another big reason of kind of going in-house as opposed to somebody outside to kind of maintain some of the relationships they already had. So, yeah. you know, I met, I met him before, really good guy, uh, yeah. really good uh, face of the program. He's always been kind of an ambassador type of uh, person and somebody that's always been very public facing, which in recent years has not always been that, uh, that right. as the, the person that's held that position. So. Yeah, just to close that out, I mean, there are two things that I would hope for from Don Coriel, and yeah. that's one, like you mentioned, to be public-facing, to be publicly accountable. Mm-hmm. That That's something, I mean, no disrespect to the last administration. Right. The, the time that you saw the last athletic director was when he hired Jake Spavadol because he knew that he nailed it. Right. And uh, Again, as a beat writer, I had yeah. one conversation right. with him. So, right. so like, you, I had multiple with Don Coriel when right. he wasn't the athletic director. Yeah, and so you have to be more visible, I think. Yes. And the second thing is you he has a background in fundraising mm-hmm. at Texas State. Yeah. Uh, now, I will say, Texas State, not fundraised well enough, right? Sure. So, so that's... That's something that I think that you need to hire guys beneath you who are better, you know, and, mm-hmm. and can kind of keep moving that forward. Uh, but, I mean, he has background scheduling football games. He has background working with ESPN on contracts. Like, mm-hmm. he has the background. Right. Uh, yeah, it's definitely going to be interesting to see if he can kind of take that next step. For sure. To be able to be more than that. So, what a great transition. <laughs> We're jumping into our Texas State preview. There we go. <laughs> Look at that. We're actually going to have a conversation with Jake Spavadol that, that uh, Ishmael recorded at coaching school right after this. But let's go ahead and get right into it. Ish, what's your first burning question about Texas State? Ooh, this one will uh, – I think I asked Jake Spavadol about this one too yeah. in the interview, so you'll hear it a little bit later. But my first question is not about Brady McBride. I okay. know that's kind of the burning <laughs> question. But yeah. will this patchwork defense be enough? Mm. because last year, and even going back two years, Jake Spavadol inherited a very senior-heavy defense, yeah. especially the linebackers. Last year, they basically started all new guys who were, barely were on the two-deep the year before at linebacker. Then secondary, they absolutely got decimated by injury. Up front, they got decimated by injury. Kavion Patton was out for the year, and so they had to move some guys around, maybe start some guys that weren't quite ready. So when you look at the transfer that they brought in, obviously that's the big storyline from the offseason. Most of them are on defense. Most of them are in the secondary. Some of them are in the defensive line. Nick McCann from Tech in particular. Is that going to be enough? Because that's it. Defense in particular, right? You can always talk about like, oh, offense, you can plug a skill guy in here and there. Defense is a lot about cohesion and a lot about chemistry and a lot about what's that other corner doing? What's that nickel doing? The safeties have to be in sync with everybody in front of them. Linebackers have to know where to point everybody, things like that. Is that going to be enough to really push? Because they're bringing, well, they brought in some transfers on offense, but 
defensively is the one is the the side of the ball where you look at and you say okay that's the one that needs probably the most immediate help they're the ones that aren't getting as many returners back and that's the one they're investing most of these transfers in so is that going to be enough to elevate that side of the ball so i do think that this does actually in a way come back to the offense mm. because when you look at yard per play defense last year because yeah. they were bottom three nationally in yes. yardage defense yes. they were very bad right uh but the flip side is they were below average mm-hmm. in yard per play defense okay right they, they were at 6.32 yards per play which is fine mm-hmm. you know i mean it's not that far off from i mean it's better in virginia right it's better in stanford it's better in oregon state right like it's fine mm-hmm. not enough not good enough i, I want to be clear but uh but you know you mentioned you had to have so many young guys play because of injuries yeah so you kind of have that combination that I like, where you've got these guys uh, underneath, you know, these guys who are uh, uh, underclassmen who have played a bunch of snaps, who mm. have at least played college football before. You mix it in with guys who you expect to come in and start, which clearly you do. Mm-hmm. You also have some of those guys back, like a Jaron Morris, who was tremendous last year. Right. I mean, you know, I, I remember actually having a conversation about him uh, when when I was on the All-America Committee. and. Mm-hmm. Somebody was like, well, why does he have so many stats? I mean, does that just mean that he's getting picked on all the time? I'm like, no. He's the only guy that's not getting picked on. No, (laughs) no. They move him everywhere. They were like, run over there. That's where the good player is. (laughs) Try and stop him. We'll line you up in the boundary. We'll line you up in the field. We'll line you up basically in a safety role. I was about to say, we need you to play safe. (laughs) Right. Like, they... And they have more guys now. You've got a guy like D.C. Williams coming in, right? Who, Who I think is going to be able to step in and contribute. And... And I still do think, I mean, Jake Spavital mentioned it at coaching school. This is a roster that if they took a real freshman class, it would have been 90% underclassmen, right? Mm-hmm. So you do also have that development side of things. Right. It has to pay off, right? I mean, this is where you've got two full recruiting classes in, you know, one that's had two years in your program under Zach Spavital. Mm-hmm. This is where it has to pay off, obviously. But I, I think... I think this comes down to what the expectations are, sure. right? And to me, I do think that part of the expectation is continue to to improve on a yard per play basis. Uh, I think part of that is offensively. They need to be on the field more consistently. That was a big part of the issue, that they were defending so many plays. But I think that they have a mix of upperclassmen and underclassmen and guys who are developmental pieces mm-hmm. to where – if they're, again, they were 125 out of 127 last year. If they're 90th, I think that's probably enough for me. I, I think that that's enough for me to feel like, okay, this unit has moved forward. Sure. If it's 90th, you're hoping that the offense is more like top 25, right? And and I think that that's enough. I think that that's enough of a formula to feel okay about it. Mm-hmm. But uh, what do you think? Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's it is kind of a balancing act, right? Yeah. Because like it's one of those... You know, your defense is playing they'll, – they'll start off great first quarter. They get tired third, second, third, fourth right. quarter, and they're always on the field. Offense goes three and out, and it's about kind of sustaining those drives. And we saw that when the offense was pretty good, the defense made plays, right? Against SMU, mm. they made plays. Um, and against uh, – unless they were handing the ball to Sincere McCormick, uh, against UTSA <laughs> as well, they were making plays. Uh, Boston College, for the most part, right? It wasn't, it wasn't until the offense stalled out that the right. defense finally started to give and give and give late in that game, and that's why they lost. And so I kind of agree. I think that I think that they purposefully went for some of those, some of that influx of um, immediate talent because yeah. they do have that that 
reinforcement behind them, right? You have guys, now that you have Kevin Patton coming back, hopefully from injury, you have a guy like Jordan Revels who played last year, right? And you have Nick McCann there to kind of help uh, bring him in with experience. So I kind of agree. I think that you you have that nice balance there um, that that's kind of necessary to, to, to make that unit what it should be. All right, Mallory, you had a question, right? I did. I was just going to say, you know, year after year, People say, you know, Texas State's up and coming. Mm-hmm. They're close. You know, they're they're going to be improving. You know, yeah, have you but ever heard that one before, Ish? <sighs> Never heard that. One. I Next may have quoted that exactly from Ish from the magazine. <laughs> Check out the magazine, by the way. Yeah. Uh, anyways, but you know, like as we saw last year, the Sun Belt is good, yeah. and they got good very rapidly. You know, Too probably quickly. one of the best G five conferences in the nation. Yeah. Spe- yeah, certainly in Texas. You know with, you know, Coastal Carolina and Louisiana. Mm-hmm. So is this the year that, that Texas people start classify, stop classifying Texas State as being close or up and coming or, you know? <laughs> yeah. No, it's, I mean, that's that's always been kind of the... The, the trend, yeah, you know? Yeah, it's, it's always been the trend. Every time somebody comes in to Texas State, it's like, oh, that's a sleeping giant, right? That's a... Right, you know, they get X-Line. excited, you know? Right. And so, yeah, it's because here's the thing about, and, and you hit on it, if this was, if this is the year, then it's a hell of a year because the Sun Belt is probably outside of the AAC, like the best G five mm-hmm. conference, Definitely. right? Mm-hmm. Definitely. And so, yeah, because I think I think that's another reason why he went with this strategy mm-hmm. of getting the transfers in because you can't throw a ninety percent underclassman class mm-hmm. against Coastal, right? You can't throw them at Louisiana. You can't throw them at these programs that are going to be ranked now, right? You're going to be seeing, we talked about those two programs, but I mean, Georgia State's right there is a kind of a fledge of, of, of a program coming into its own. Mm-hmm. Troy is probably going to be coming back into its own as well. South Alabama has been pretty solid. Um, I mean, Arkansas State had a down year last year, but there's, there's no reason to think they can't come back. They're always a perennial uh, contender in the conference. I mean, you're looking at what, maybe one I'd say probably bottom feeder in the conference with ULM, and mm-hmm. that's probably it, right? Yeah, in terms right. of like teams that you can probably be like, eh, they should probably be. And everybody now. else right now probably looks at Texas State as being the exactly, other yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Mm-hmm. And so I'm looking at the schedule, and you've got them going six and six. Uh, yeah, so yeah, we got them yeah. going six and six, and th- and don't get us wrong, like that's us saying that you know Texas State might win a couple of those 50-50 games. Mm-hmm. Yes, there's only probably one or two conference games that they're outright favored as in like they should 100% probably win this game what's mm-hmm. the two yeah I was about to say maybe I'll say I'll, I'll, I'll the benefit of the doubt I know it's ULM is one but yes. I'm trying to look for the second one maybe not yeah. so <laughs> the I, other I ones mean, are going to be 50 50 right. like these are going to be close kind of if they pull it out kind of game and, and we have them beating South Alabama and we have them beating Georgia Southern both of those games at home sure but that certainly doesn't make us confident right, right? that's that's what we feel like should happen mm-hmm. and I think for us this I think that we will figure out the season. Yes. I, I do think that this season is that moment for a number of reasons, right? So first of all, yes, because what has it been? Since 2014, I believe it was, since they've won more than three games. Yes. Which is, I'm so sorry-ish. Yeah, I'm, I'm so sorry that you've had to, had to watch all that. Uh, <laughs> but the other side of it is, if Texas State goes 4-8 and eight this year, and Jeff Trailer goes 10-2, and two, then... The pipeline is closed. That's uh, that's 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 the word, and it was the same thing with Withers and Frank Wilson, yep. right? Yep. It was that Frank Wilson hit UTSA in stride. Yep. Got them recruiting. Withers could not get off that snide. Yep. And it's the same dynamic, except 
double now. <laughs> like, because right. Jeff Trailer right. built off what Frank Wilson did and now has them even better. Yep. And so Jake Spavadol is still trying to really get up to that first level mm-hmm. <laughs> where uh, uh, where UTSA started at under right. Frank Wilson. And so, yeah, no, that's it's always the give and take of, well, Texas State's doing this, but what's happening just down the road <laughs> in San Antonio? You're right. always going to be compared one to one, unfortunately. So. Right. I mean, they're what an hour away from each other. Right. I mean, these are these are two programs that are fully in each other's footprints, and the the difference is right. Like I think a Texas State, we don't have to tell you have, has a lot to sell, right? Sure. I mean, it's a great campus. It's a great school. It's got. They want to be the reason that they moved up to FBS is because they want to be a flagship campus, right? right? Mm-hmm. That's the whole idea. And UTSA's whole deal is, well, we can own San Antonio. Mm -hmm. And if you own San Antonio, you don't just own San Antonio. You also make real strides in that region. Yeah. Right? You you, you creep into Austin. You can creep south of San Antonio as well. Like, yeah. Right. And then on top of that, adding on top of that, like, I want to be clear. We are very optimistic about Jake Spavadol. You know, I think that he's doing a good job. I Mm -hmm. think it's just a really tough job. Uh, And I think that the roster's... A lot worse. I think it started a lot worse than than we realized, right? Oh yeah. Oh um, yes, yes. He, he well, that was one of the biggest things was that I think a lot of people expected him to come in and kind of just turn a leaf and be ready to go. Right. There were a lot more problems with it than I think we a lot of people realized, myself included. So. Yeah. Yeah. And so this was not a raw show that was built to win, which I think is what Jake Spavadol thought he was signing up for. At the same time, with this strategy, Jake Spavadol is clearly clearly earn the ire of many Texas high school football coaches mm-hmm. who are like, why didn't you recruit my kid? Mm-hmm. Which, you know, I mean, part of the answer is, well, we recruited the guy who was your kid last year. I was about to say, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a little bit of a, a little bit of a misnomer, but the reputation's still there. Uh, and on the other side, you have the king of Texas high school football coaches. Mm-hmm. And that is not ideal if you're going to also be losing. Right. So a lot to figure out. We're going to have to cut it at two questions this week because both those yeah. questions went real long. I mean, I think you summer. I mean, the only thing we could have hinged on was Brady McBride. But yeah, again, we, <laughs> that's where we, I was going to go. We'll <laughs> ask more questions about him leading up to the season yeah. through camp, things like that. I'm so. not concerned about talking about a quarterback battle. <laughs> right, exactly. It's the story of this whole state this year. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Well, this is the Republic of Football podcast. Make sure and become a subscriber. Textfootball.com slash subscribe. Uh, it's an exciting time to become a subscriber. You get the magazine mailed directly to your house. And other than... Our Big 12 preview, I think we did a pretty good job in this magazine. In, uh, if we read it in context, the Big 12 preview is good. It's yes. Still, it, if we're just talking about the 2021 season, it yes. makes perfect, perfect sense. sense. But uh, we're going to go ahead and move on. Uh, we've got an interview with Texas State coach Jake Spavadol. I know that, uh, Ish, I'm sure that you grilled him, right? I'm sure that you oh, yeah. held his feet to the fire on oh, all these man. questions that we just asked. He was sweating. <laughs> he was sweating. He was sweating. Well, stick around. We'll be right back with you right after this. Dave Campbell's Texas football. Ishmael Johnson here uh, here at THSCA Coaching School with Jake Spavadol. Man, it's been a while in person, right? <laughs> been a long time, man. I've been, I've done Zoom interviews with yep. you and on-the-phone interviews. It's, it's yep. finally good seeing you in person, man. Yeah, so what's it like being here? I mean, this is a really chill environment. I always look at this as like – the unofficial kickoff to the season coming up. What's it like for you? You're completely right on that. When when coaching school hits, that means season is starting, man. Yeah. But uh, just to have that opportunity to do it in person and see so many familiar faces that you haven't gotten to see in a long time because you think about it, you know, there's been a dead period for about 16, 17 months. Mm-hmm. And, you know, everybody's been going through issues with COVID. And uh, just to, to see all these familiar faces and, and just kind of chop it up with them, you know, at the, over the course of these next few days, uh, it's been really fun for myself, but also my staff and just 
we just got done watching Jacob Peeler do an on-the-field demonstration, which, uh, you know, it's just good to see people back interacting, asking questions, trying to further their game. So uh, fired up to be back into the mix of this whole thing right now. Yeah, for sure. Let's talk about a little bit about your Bobcats coming up this season. Uh, remember yesterday we were talking just a little bit, and you said the team looks really different. Right, there are going to be a lot of returners, a lot of guys that people know, uh, Brock Sturges, Brady McBride, those guys. But, you know, what exactly, I mean, you know, we've seen the transfers come in, we've seen the different players. You know, now that you've been through a, sc a spring practice with them, what is different about this team? Does it feel different? Is it something that you can visually see? Like, yes, uh, visually, okay. like, you know, when you go through the spring game, uh, you know, and the fans got to see, you know, our new team, you could tell the difference in the profile of our, our football team. And that was something that when we got here in 2019, we, st we thought we were a very small football team. When you went through the entire Sun Belt and you started comparing yourself to really the Louisiana Lafayettes and Coastal Carolina, it was like we need to increase the profile and get a, a mature kind of, you know, bigger type of guy and longer uh, and a longer type of guy. And uh, that's what we did. And, um, you know, I, I think that in today's time, you know, with the transfer portal and, and where it's at, uh, I think the kicker of everything is the eligibility freeze from last year. And we had to be very cautious of what we did this year because if you remember our conversations last year, we brought in over 60 new guys because we inherited a team that was a very senior-heavy class where we had 33 seniors, I believe it was, and we ended up having about 40 graduate and move on right there. So you had to mix in a lot of different guys. And uh, we were a very young team, and the eligibility freeze happens. You talk about Brady McBride. You talk about Brock Sturgis, Jamil Jeter, Calvin Hill. You know, they all have – three to four years of eligibility sure, still. Sure. so you know we wanted to balance our classes out and and uh, I thought we we did a very good job at, at, at making sure that we just didn't have 90 percent of our roster as freshmen and sophomores and, right. we, and we balanced it out very well and I think the 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 profile of our team's different I, I think the fans are going to be excited to see what uh, uh the product that we get to put out there on on the field I, I, our kids our culture is, is really good going into our third year so mm -hmm. Uh, just a lot of excitement, you know, and a lot of optimism going into this 2021 season. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about Brady McBride. Um, you know, last year at times he definitely looked like in the beginning a guy who had not played competitive football in a couple years, right? Um, I think we mentioned it. It had been since probably Cop Hell since he had taken like live in-game exactly. snaps before he snapped against uh, SMU. And, you know, there was a brief period in the season where you took him out, right? You benched him for a little bit. Mm -hmm. He kind of held the clip forward. And I remember that was a very concerted effort on your part. What were you trying to get at at that point? Because he ended the season really well. Like, yeah. his last couple of games, he, he looked like a different quarterback. Yeah, and, you know, I my, my best friend's Cliff Kingsbury, and we talk about quarterback play on a daily basis because it is extremely hard to do. I have so much respect for guys that line up behind the center yeah. and have to do it, you know. Right. And, and you know, Brady goes in in the first game of the season versus SMU, and, and that's a very quality opponent to go up against in your first start in, in, in a long time. And, and – uh, you know, he, he had 14 rushes in that game, and we didn't even call one quarterback run. <laughs> right, you know, right, and, right. And, and there's a lot of other circumstances with that, with protection and, and just, you know, the, the, the type of team we're going up against at that sure. point. And then you got to look into COVID. You know, he had a couple false positives that had him, you know, he, he was unfortunate to play the next two weeks and, and then comes back in the Boston College game and plays at a pretty high level in Boston College. But consistently throughout the whole course of the year, you know, you went through the ups and downs and just talking with Cliff and talking with, you know, just, uh, you know, the, the guys that uh, mean a lot to me in this profession. Um, you know, it's always good to step away from the game for maybe a little bit and watch from the sideline. Sure. And, and I thought that, you know, it was really tough on the kid. It was tough on me. It was tough on everybody, to be honest with you. 
and we, we set him down during the App State game. And uh, he goes in versus the Georgia Southern game at halftime, and he scored 16 of 18 drives. <laughs> and you could tell that the game just slowed down tremendously for him. Right. And that's when I was like, all right, we, we've got a kid right now that's playing at a high level and, and the game's slowing down for him. And uh, I think that kid's got so much, you know, bright future. He's got such a bright future ahead of him. And um, he's an exciting brand to play. You know, yeah. he's very athletic and he can use his feet. and. Uh, make some plays that most people can't, and uh, sure. I think he's just going to keep getting better. Yeah, uh, talk about the defense a little bit. Um, you know, that was to me when I, when when I first saw a lot of the names coming into the program, that was the the side of the ball where you guys were really looking to get get older, get bigger, get just a lot of uh, a lot of in game experience really quickly. Um, you know, what was that? Was that the did I read into that correctly? Or yeah, how was it? yeah. No, you're you're spot on with yeah. that. You know. Um, you know, you look at the defense last year, you know, you go in versus SMU, and I thought they played very well sure, versus yeah. SMU and, and early in the year. And then we had some unfortunate injuries. We had some about COVID the secondary. issues. I mean, that is just, yeah. I'm telling you, I thought everywhere. I was going to have to go out there and play at one point. <laughs> right, I was right, right, call right. Ismail. <laughs> you know, but, it, yeah, it's just unfortunate how it was. And and, um, and we, we knew that we needed to get more experience in the back end. Mm-hmm. Uh, we needed to get bigger up front and get more depth. You sure. know, like when we had Savion Patton and he had the unfortunate back injury and he should be back this year, you know, and I'm fired up for that kid. But, yeah. uh, you know, there there was just a lot of uh, depth issues and we had to move around a lot. And, I'm, I'm telling you, with no one knows. Like uh, when we played Louisiana Monroe, mm-hmm. uh, we were down to about three uh, three defensive linemen oh, in the man. entire like fourth quarter, yeah. and uh, we had linebackers playing DNs and just trying to make it work uh, where it was at. And and uh, you know, I thought with there was a lot of highs and lows of the defense, but I think now we're starting to gain a lot of uh, depth. Uh, that is going to be very beneficial for our season next year. Mm-hmm. Lastly, um, I remember my first spring practice when I went out there. Uh, I asked you how close this program was, right? At that time, you said close. And I think you saw the foundations of something that first year. Last year, I think it was similar, but a lot of different things. You mentioned the SMU game could have gone either way. Uh, the Boston College game kind of got away from oh. you guys. It was, like, it was a lot more of those, like, certain, th- certain swings in the game go a different way. You guys are probably five, six wins, right? Exactly. Where is this program now? You bring in an influx of players that, to me, signify that there's no. You guys are kind of tired of the. Oh yeah, you know the. Maybe, you know maybe here and there if a ball went here, it was kind of more of a. All right, it's go time, kind of. Exactly, you know, and I, you know, like we had this conversation with our team all the time about, you know, how close we are. Mm-hmm. You know, you see, just you know, we're we're probably about five to 15 plays away from being six and six eight and four you know like arguably like you're saying uh but we're sick of being close Mm. (laughs) you know um uh, i think the kids that the the caliber of kids that we're bringing in right now they have a chip on their shoulder they want to prove people wrong they want to go out there and compete with the best of them and uh, i think these kids are working extremely hard right now i think they uh, they've got an edge to them at it it's go time and I think a lot of the things last year was we weren't playing smart football in critical moments. Mm-hmm. And that's something that we can clean up. I think they've learned from their lessons last year. If you know, like if you go to, you know, like Georgia Southern, don't snap the ball over the uh, over the punter's head. Right. Or, I completely forgot you know, about that. You know, yeah. there's, <laughs> yeah. there's a lot of those situations that are, are on us. Yeah. And uh, and we know that. And there's a transparency in our locker room of what we need to get done. And. Uh, they understand that we're bringing in a, a caliber player where the competition and the depth is at every position is going to be uh, very fun to watch, sure. you know, and, and you've got to elevate your play all the time and, and you got to play smart and you got to uh, rise to the occasion in those critical moments. And uh, I think these kids are ready to start winning some games. 
Alrighty. Hey, Jake Spavadol, Texas State. <laughs> Appreciate you, man. Yes, sir. His best. Thanks again to Texas State coach Jake Spavadol for joining us. Always a good interview for us. And with that said, let's move on to part two, our Texas Tech preview, our first Power Five preview in our series, I guess you'd say. Yeah. <laughs> so our so burning questions. Our series. burning That's what we're questions. calling it. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, since I didn't get a chance to ask one last time. You can go first. <laughs> let's get it started. And uh, since we didn't have a chance to talk about quarterbacks last time, let's get it started, uh-huh. okay? So this is kind of a two-part question. Part one is, is Tyler Chuck the guy? And two, the I think the much bigger question is, is Texas Tech really – just a quarterback away that's a good mm-hmm. that was my question that was i think that was mine too kind <laughs> <Okay>. of <laughs> perfect so i mean i have I another, got more. I I have got another one too, I got but, too. that's a good point i think that let me let me i'm gonna roll off some numbers i'll, I'll start my, i'll start my uh my answer to that do you know what texas tech was in pass play percentage because this ranking wise um this kind of caught me off guard pass play percentage wise how many of their plays were pass plays um, I'd assume high, right? Like I'd assume, and I'm assuming that these are plays that start as pass plays if yes. they scramble or sure, something sure, like right, that. Right, like, right. Yes, yes. Um, I'm gonna guess 65. They were 15th in pass play percentage ranked. Wow. wow. Yeah, 55 percent plus. It was like 55 point something. But wow. yes, 15th. That shocked me how high yeah. that was. Yeah. Do you know how we know where they were ranked in pass yards per completion? <laughs> uh, uh, well, bubble screen Jesus, David Yost probably had them pretty low. One thirteenth. Oh. Wow. Second worst in the state. Um, sorry, ahead of only Baylor. <laughs> but also, here's some other here's, here's some other numbers here. Seventy fifth in passer rating as a team. Yeah. Ninety fourth in yards per pass attempt. Yeah. This is a team that tried to pass the ball. Yeah. And could not pass the ball. <laughs> My, I think my answer is yes. Mm. I think my answer, when you look at what they have on defense, which is a very good passing defense, especially last year. Yeah. Rush defense could use some work, but passing defense, I think, is very much there. When you look at the players they have around the quarterback position, you have what I think you should need to have a deadly passing attack. You have the backfield to have the balance. I think they are a quarterback away, and I think – Unfortunately for him, that puts all the more pressure on Tyler Shuck and for uh, Sonny Cumbie <laughs> yeah. to get this right because this, I think, if you look at one glaring problem for that team, it is quarterback. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and you had an offensive coordinator who, first of all, developed Jordan Love into an NFL first round pick at quarterback, mm-hmm. right? I mean, that happened. Yes. And who has some background in the air raid before he came to Utah State. He was Mike Leach's, I believe, inside receivers coach. Mm-hmm. Well, now you're going from that to, like, an actual air raid guy right. mm-hmm. in Sonny Cumbie. Mm-hmm. Now, the thing I will say is that his TCU offenses since taking over in 2017, a lot of them have been pretty run-based. Mm-hmm. They, they run a lot more than other. And the air raid at this point, like, Mike Leach is running the quote-unquote air raid. Yeah. Nevada runs the quote-unquote air raid, like all that, like all the – we're just – I was about to say uh, – it everywhere. Speaking of Mike Leach, so obviously he's first, right? Mississippi State was first in pass percentage. They're first by 10 percentage points. <laughs> <laughs> they passed the ball 74% of the time. 74%. Purdue is second in 64. Purdue, wow. Yeah. I, would, I don't think I would have guessed that. Yeah. Wow. So that was funny. That was yeah. just something I was that's, like, of course, Mr. Leach. <laughs> <laughs> Please stop, Mr. Lee. Like, <laughs> this is not working for you. Uh, but but yeah, so I mean, 
don't get me wrong, Sunny Cumbie's still gonna. I mean, where was TCU? Do you know? I mean, I'm sure TCU ended uh, up. Uh, so TCU was. Let me see. Sorry, they have. They don't have them listed as TCU. They have them as TX Christian. TX Christian. Disgusting. Ninety eighth. Yeah. Wow. Which yeah. I think speaks to my questions about Max Duggan, but yeah. <laughs> uh, but at the same time, right? So this is this is a coordinator who is willing to adjust, mm-hmm. but at the same time is still an air raid coordinator. Sure. That's his background. And I think with Tyler Shuck in there, and also, might I add, with Sir Roderick Thompson going to be out for a lot of the fall mm. with injuries, mm. it's going to really come down to that position, I think, in a lot of ways. Because you look at everywhere else, it, it feels tailor-made, right? Like, you've got an elite receiver room. Like, I think SMU might be mm-hmm. the only team in the state that has better receivers than Texas Tech. Right. Eric Ezekama, uh Loic Fongi, mm-hmm. uh, Kalen Geiger, who you brought in from Troy. Like, you have legit receivers you have multiple you have probably three or four guys who could play for most teams in the state at every single spot at and they're, and Z. they're tall too <laughs> they're yeah. very tall they're all like six three six four and above yeah in fact ezukama was the smallest outside receiver that they had before they got kalen geiger and he's six three i mean the rest <laughs> are like six four and six five right <laughs> i mean this is this is scary room and you've got speedy guys inside to kind of mm-hmm. mix off of that so the pieces are there uh, offensive line was I think TJ Stormick coming in at left tackle that solidifies that position and talking to people around the team they feel like adding him in and solidifying left tackle means that they can move their left tackle from last year I believe Caleb Rogers over to right tackle and move mm-hmm. Josh Berger who played right tackle inside and all of a sudden oh wow everybody looks a whole lot better right because nobody's being asked to do too much and so it, it, I, I hate being the guy who's like, well, you know, this team is so good, but it, and they just need a quarterback to get over the top because that's just the laziest type of analysis. Quarter, saying you need a quarterback and you need to recruit better are the two laziest mm-hmm. talking points in college football. Right. Unfortunately, one of these things is true. I was, about yes. to say, next you, I was about to say, you can literally just use data points to be like, yeah, no, if they had a better quarterback, that'd be better, <laughs> that'd be better, <laughs> that'd be better. <laughs> right, and I think that the biggest thing that you say with Tyler Shuck is that you hope that they're just going to have consistency. Right. That was the issue was that under Bowman, you know, whatever happened, you know, hopefully does well at Michigan. You know, obviously there was, there was talent there where he flashed it, but you know, drives would stall out. They really didn't, it didn't seem like the the, the offense really quite fit him well. And so they put in somebody who clearly wasn't as talented as him in Henry Columbia, but looked at least somewhat more comfortable and you knew what you were getting from him right the ceiling wasn't as high with the offense but it was like you know what he's not gonna turn the ball over he's not gonna you know stall out drives he's gonna give you something and so when it gets to that point with an offense yeah I think you're clearly reaching for something that's just quite not there that you need yeah yeah well let's move on to your question yeah so we talked about this with uh Dana Holgerson with Houston a little bit what is enough for Matt Wells because this is a guy who who let go of his guy, Yost, brings in somebody who he kind of was hired to move away from, which is the air raid. What is enough for Matt Wells? Are we looking at, does he need seven wins? Does he need eight wins? Does he just need to kind of make it a, make a bowl? Mm-hmm. You know? I think that a bowl is enough mm-hmm. for him to not get fired. Okay. I think that at the same time, if you get to six and six, I mean, let's just, let's just glance at their schedule real quick, right? Sure. So. Need to win the first three. I mean, that Houston game is going to, I think, be real big for them. Yeah. Um, but you win the first three, and then, you know, you got to find three somewhere else. Right. right? You, get, you get Oklahoma State at home, who they've played well at home before. Mm-hmm. They get Kansas State at home. You obviously go to Kansas. You better win that game. Sure. Um, and 
there's other ones that are interesting. I mean, you get TCU at home, you get West Virginia on the road, you get Texas in only week four of the Sarkeesian experiment. Uh, you know, I mean, there's interesting games. Yeah. I think that the biggest thing, more than, well, as long as you get to that baseline, I think, of a bowl, I think the bigger thing is, okay, how competitive are they? Mm-hmm. In the answer was for a lot of last year. I mean, it was a mixed bag. Because that first year, they were pretty competitive in every game. But last year, they definitely had a couple more blowouts. I mean, you, you look at that Oklahoma game. That was embarrassing, right? Right. You, you look at that Iowa State game. They made it look closer than it was. If you are primarily playing games like that Texas game that went to multiple overtimes, mm-hmm. you don't feel that bad about it. Right. Right? If, you, if you're playing games uh, like, like the West Virginia game, you know, where you win by seven points, right? 34-27. Like... You need those moments. You, and I think the other thing that, that Texas Tech needs more than anything is they need a signature win. Mm. Their first year, they went out and they crushed Oklahoma State. It wasn't a great Oklahoma State team, but they went out and crushed them. Yeah, That was kind of the last time that they played a team and beat a team that was like, this team is good. And West Virginia is fine, whatever. I I'm personally not super optimistic. I'm not super high on, on West Virginia, but mm-hmm. like, okay, if if you go and you go on the road and beat Texas and still finish sec- six and six, okay, that's something. I was about to say no. He he survives. He absolutely right. survives. If you uh, if you go and beat Oklahoma State, like we mentioned, I mean, I think that that buys you some time. Sure. If you go and beat Baylor, pretty bad. In I the was last about week to say yeah, the last week of the season. I mean, we're, this is a this is a what have you done for me now business. Yeah. And like, I think if you get a good win at, in Waco against Baylor. Yeah, and then you maybe win your bowl game or compete well in your bowl game. Like, sure. Yeah. Why I, not? Yeah. Yeah. I, I kind of agree with that. Yeah. I think he can make a bowl. I think if it's a close five and seven. Yeah. Right. If he maybe looks shaky, then wins Oklahoma State, Baylor. You know, then closes it out well. I think he might be safe. I think this is basically win more than four. Yeah. I. I that's. I. I want to say five shaky, but I think five. And they look good. Yeah, they'll say, "Okay, another year with Cumby and Shook. Let's just see where that goes." I will say, if they lose and miss out on a bowl game because they lose to Baylor, that's curtains. <sighs> that's a good. Oh, that that's curtains. A, that's a good point. But, yeah, I, I think that that game is going to be very important because it's an in-state rival. Yeah. It's an in-state rival who, for and the last decade, has had your number. Yeah, and it's another. I mean, like you know, you should theoretically be further along the the Wells experiment than right. they should be the Randa experiment. Right. So right. No, it's it's going to be interesting. Yeah. Mallory, did you have a question? Or did I steal your question? You stole my question. Okay, I stole your question. Well, I'll go ahead. I'll double dip. I'll bring it to the defensive side of the ball, okay? I think that clearly this defense has improved a lot over the past couple of years, and I I don't think that people have necessarily realized it. Um, Is this the best linebacking core in the state of Texas? Just to run through some names, yeah. Colin Schooler was a guy who transferred from Arizona last year, who we named to our All Texas College team. And uh, well, I was gonna say best linebacker in the state. That was Bernard. Uh, yeah, I Bernard would be second, roughly, right? He'd be in that conversation for yeah. sure. Uh, Krishan Merriweather, mm-hmm. a multi-year starter. Rico Jeffers, a longtime <laughs> starter for them. Yeah. Uh, you know they've got Eric Monroe in like a spur position, which is kind of a little bit of a mixed bag. Uh, but then I think the thing behind them that's so interesting is they have Josiah Pierre, who was a Florida transfer, former mm-hmm. uh, four-star uh, recruit. Jacob Morgenstern played a lot for them last year as a transfer. Brandon Bouye-Randall played a lot for them. Uh, he's a Michigan State guy, I think. Hmm. And so you don't only have good players. Yeah, I feel like you have two waves 
of good players. And mm-hmm. on top of that, I, I feel like they have some players. I expect I expect these players to start, right? I mm-hmm. expect those three linebacker positions to start. But like, there is a world where they where one of them doesn't because I think that the backups could be so good. Right. That's a good point. I do not know if I, I can't. Or at least by do not know, I mean I can't name. Yeah, an immediate team that comes to mind that's like that has the depth that they do. Well, because I like I like Baylor's top guys. I was about to say yes. You I have, like you have the guys. names and you have the top guys, the top the the first guys on the, on the depth chart. But it's the too deep for tech. I think that does separate them. And I mean, it's a good point to bring up because I mean, like you mentioned, that their defense has been. I mean, again, their their weakness is rush defense, right? Yes. That's the one thing yes. that they need to improve on. But that's, I mean, I think that's one of the things you could more or less nail down as something you can improve on with over an off season and, yeah. and kind of get better. I don't want to say you just magically make it good, but yeah, you could get better at it. But I think that, I mean, everything else is pretty much there for that defense, right? They can probably get a little bit more aggressive. They can probably mm-hmm. force some turnovers, things like that. But I don't know if there's another defense or a linebacking unit, I should say, with the depth that they do on the two deep. Yeah. I mean, and, and the big thing is, right, because – when you hear bad rush defense, you assume bad linebacker play, right? You sure. assume bad angles, stuff like that. It really has been these defensive linemen who are just young. Mm-hmm. They haven't developed super well. And I actually think that quarterback is going to be the thing that makes or break this make breaks this team. Excuse right. me. But the thing that I think will make or break this defense is, I think, not just do you get good production from your starters. Mm-hmm. When Matt Wells came in, he said, we are a developmental program. Mm-hmm. Well, the place where you need to prove that right now in 2021 is I think that you need to have a good two deep of underclassmen defensive linemen. Yeah. And if that comes along, which I'm relatively optimistic about, I think that they've developed at a pretty high level. But if that comes along, I mean, yeah, then, then that makes the linebacker's job so much easier. And you've got guys who have played a lot. You've got guys who are decisive. You've got guys who know the system. You ha- you've got guys who, uh, you know, and this is something we see a lot in the Big 12 now, who are going to be able to bring pressure. Right, yeah. uh, both from the sides, off the edge, mm-hmm. and also up the middle. I mean, that's one thing that we've seen uh, with, with some of these modern defenses, right, is being able to pressure up the middle with a guy like Mike Rose or a guy like Charles Bernard. And so right. there, there are a lot of reasons why I think that this defense could not just be improved. I think it could be middle of the pack, which <laughs> for Texas pretty Tech good. is a pretty, pretty big deal. And, and on this back end, I mean, you add some of these guys like Marquise Waters, who people keep telling me is going to be all big 12 mm-hmm. you add some of these guys i mean I, I like who they have at cornerback they've got a lot of bodies next to demarcus field do you did you know tech ranked 11th in pass uh opponent uh, opponent yards per completion really yes they were a <laughs> like that is the only teams ahead of them were iowa marshall arkansas byu arizona state northwestern tulsa washington West Virginia, San Diego State. Like that's crazy. They were better than Kentucky, Georgia, Miami, <laughs> USC. Like these are good teams that yeah. Tech was. And I don't know. Again, but the, again, the problem was that they were 80th in rushing yards allowed. Rushing mm-hmm. yard allowed. Uh, rushing yards allowed per attempt. Yeah. They basically gave up. Let me see. Almost five yards of carry. Mm. So it's going to be that front end that makes or breaks this team. Right. And again, if this was the Big 12 of. Ten years ago, oh man, Tech would be <laughs> set. In great shape. Yeah, but no, this is a Big Twelve that can run the ball. <laughs> the Big Twelve that's physical has li- uh, offensive line play. Yeah, and so yeah, no, the back end they're gonna be perfectly fine. But it's gonna be like you mentioned, it's gonna be those front defensive linemen if they can develop the depth there when it gets to the third, fourth quarter. Once you get to those next level guys, can they hold their own? Because I think 
obviously we're really high on the linebacking core. They're going to be able to do it. They're going to be able to shift guys in, have guys fresh, have guys ready to go, and cover the field. Can they do that up front too? Okay, let me close it out with one more question for the both of y'all, okay? okay? And then I'll answer too. Out of these two teams, I think that it's clear. Yes. The goal is 6-6, six and six, at least. Mm-hmm. You, you need to be in a bowl game this yeah. year. Yeah. Between the two of them, who's more likely to do it? Oh. I'm going to say Texas State. Yeah? Yeah. I really am. Let me see the schedule. I, I know. I need to pull it's up the tough. schedule one more it's time. It's real but tough. But yeah. I think looking at it, I think Texas Tech has a tougher road to go I, down I than Texas true. State does. Mm. I mean, you know, Texas yeah. State's got Coastal Carolina and Louisiana, but I mean, I really think that Texas Tech's got a, a difficult road to go down. So with Tech, you got to go first Houston, which is not a gimme. Right. right. You got to go to Texas, to West Virginia, uh, to Baylor, and then at home, you still have to play all of Iowa State, Oklahoma, and TCU. Which all three of those games you expect to lose? Yeah. Ugh. This sucks. Uh, one, two, three. But here's the thing I'll say. I, I think that my answer is Texas Tech. I'm. I think my answer is Texas Tech. And and the reason for me is that I think that I am more confident in the pieces they have to fill their holes. I was about to say yeah. there's less to fix. Right. With Texas Tech. Yeah. I think so, that's true. So I'm looking. So I look at I look at Texas State, and I think there's a lot more toss-up scenarios. I think with Tech. I can get to five fairly confidently. Yeah. And then you just need one more. Sure. Mm-hmm. Sure. With state, I kind of need to get – I'm struggling to get to five. Like, right. I'm like, uh, I can see them getting there. Right. And, then, like, and if Texas Tech can really f- just figure out that quarterback situation, because right. like yeah, you they look could at, get there pretty easy, Right, I guess. exactly. So it's like I see for Tech, I see SFA, FIU, uh, Kansas, Kansas State. So there's four right off the bat. Mm-hmm. I can see Oklahoma State. I can see Baylor. I can see these are all just toss-ups, not guarantees. Sure. But I can see Oklahoma State, Baylor, West Virginia, Houston. Yeah, all those. You just got to win two of those right. four. Like I, I'd be perfectly confident in saying that they can pull off six. All right, I'll convince me. I guess I'll change my mind. <laughs> yeah, there's just it's just more question marks. With yeah, Texas. yeah, you're and, right about that. And I think I think that's the thing, right? For me, like, what is the ceiling of Texas Tech, right? Mm-hmm. If they were to win every if they were to win every forty sixty game, yeah. right? Like not even fifty fifty game. You go Houston, I think at Texas is a 40-60 game. I think at West Virginia is a 40-60 game. TCU's at home is probably a 40-60 game. At Kansas should be a win. Kansas State's definitely one of those. Uh, Oklahoma, Iowa State, uh, no. Yeah. Uh, Oklahoma State and Baylor. So I just got to eight, right, that I feel like right. there's a world. It's it's not a world that's going to happen, but right. there's a world where they get to eight and maybe pull off an upset. Yeah. Uh, for Texas State, you start with Baylor. That's a loss. Uh, although... Some people seem to I, – I don't know. It doesn't I, happen to I, people. I, I saw some people on the internet being like, oh, that's a losable game for Baylor. What does that say about where they're at? I'm like, why do you think sure. that? I don't, what are you talking about? Listen, man. People just be saying stuff. Game. I was about to say, they're just saying things. Uh, so FIU, UIW, EMU, which, by the way, is not a gimme, and we've kind of positioned it as a gimme yeah. on the road. Uh, South Alabama, you get Troy at home. You go to Georgia State. So, I mean, you're, you're to six there. Then Louisiana. ULM, I mean – Georgia Southern and our okay okay I mean they're but yeah that's the thing I'll More say of those this. are 40 60 I was about to say I was about to say for tech to pull off some games like Texas and Oklahoma State like I'm more confident in that happening sure than like Texas State to pull off their mm-hmm. version yeah. of that. right <laughs> right, yeah. right well it'll be interesting yes I mean I 
we kind of just haphazardly put these two teams together, but there's a lot of similarities, aren't? Isn't there? Yeah. No, it really is. Like similar questions, similar kind of coaching narratives, right? Kind of going sure. on about like shifting uh, expectations, um, rivals doing things that people may consider more interesting at the time. Sure. Um, no, it's gonna be. It's very, very fascinating how kind of relative these two teams are. Yeah, it'll be fun to watch. Well, for Shahan Jarad. For Ishmael Johnson, for Mallory Hartley, I'm Shahan Jairaj. I know who I am. It's it has been a couple of weeks, man. It is about been, to say, there's been like a season's oh worth gosh. of news in like two yeah. weeks. It's it was supposed to. You're be tired. Ju- you've been you've been working hard, man. I it get was you. Supposed to be July. Uh, you know what? The the other thing too, right? Because we all went down to coaching school together. Yes. Right? That was uh, two weeks ago, mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah. Uh, so we got back Tuesday, right? We did all the driving, did all the, you know, had to be up at 7.30 a.m. Usually I'm more of a, like, you know, calmly get up at 9 type. But mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. 8 to 9. But uh, then, then we get back. On the Wednesday we get back is when this news yeah. drops. <laughs> and so I have been all over the place for quite a while. Yeah. <laughs> quite a while. Well, hopefully the content has not severed. I think it's still good stuff. <laughs> but uh, but again, you can follow our work at textfootball.com. You can find us on Facebook, Dave Campbell's Football. You can find us on Twitter at DCTFCFB. Become a subscriber, textfootball.com slash subscribe. Thanks again to our sponsor, North Texas Honda Dealers. For Ishmael Johnson, for Mallory Hartley, I'm Shahan Jayaraja. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us, and we'll talk to you guys again next week.